The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. We are jumping back into the Gospel of Luke, the fifth chapter, after we took a simple week off for Mother's Day. Hope you had a great one of those, by the way. And, and as we dive back in, just a recap to remind you where we're at in the narrative. Jesus is still very early in his ministry, but he's already very popular amongst the people, and that has caused him to be noticed by the religious elite. The religious leaders of the day, hey, we've got a new teacher on the scene, one that a lot of people are following, primarily because of the power he's teaching with, and he's backing it up with healing the sick, casting out demons, Everything's kind of working for him right now. So he's even attracted the attention of the religious leaders from Jerusalem, the big, big dogs. And so after Jesus, two weeks ago, had called Matthew or Levi to be one of his disciples, he goes to his house. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And the religious leaders truly, truly can't believe this. Why are you accepting people like this? Why are you allowing them near you? This is not something a person who loves God would do. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. You're so wrong. I I came for these people. I am for the sinner. That's the whole reason. That's my whole mission, my whole purpose. And so we pick up right on the tail end of this. The religious leaders kind of lost round one, but they're not going to stop now. So they pick on the lowest hanging fruit. They look at some of Jesus' other disciples, and they decide to call them out. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 33. They said to him, okay, so they said to Jesus, the religious leaders, John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, a sect of religious leaders. They they tell their disciples to fast all the time. But your disciples, your disciples, they're out eating and drinking. What gives? They're living it up. You, You are not leading these men in godliness. You're not leading them in righteousness. What in the world are you doing? Well, let's backtrack and kind of fill in a little bit. The Old Testament, the law, it demands one day a year be a day of fasting. That's the day of atonement, okay? The day where the high priest would go in and offer a sacrifice for the sins of all the people of Israel for the whole year. They would be covered. And on that day, as a show of penance, the the population was supposed to fast. So one day, one day you're required to fast. Now, the religious leaders were brilliant at this. They loved to hedge their bets, They love to add stuff to the Old Testament law. So it started probably with, well, we'll fast uh, once a month. And then someone said, well, if you're fasting once a month, then God would probably love for us to fast. Oh, uh, let's let's fast once every other week. And then someone says, you know, I'm going to make my disciples fast every week, at least one day. And then where we're at today in the first century, Okay, the Pharisees, they demanded that their disciples fast every Monday and every Thursday as a demonstration of their extreme piety, their extreme righteousness, their godliness. 
Every Monday, every day, we, we do not eat on those days, and we do so to let God know our devotion to him. And so these Pharisees, these hungry men, <laughs> they're coming up to Jesus, and they're going, your disciples are feasting, not fasting. You need to instruct them better. And we see this because some, even watching today, you have felt something similar. You have tried to earn God's favor. Meaning this, I'm going to read my Bible every day for a year. That is a great thing. That's a wonderful, wonderful discipline. Some have tried fasting. Fasting is a wonderful thing. The, the problem in this text is not that they were or were not fasting. Fasting is a great thing to position you before God. So you've said, I'm going to fast uh, for a few days and, and I'm going to do this. But here's where the problem comes. Oftentimes in trying to pursue God, we make it about us. Our pursuit becomes selfish. We want to earn God's favor for ourselves. We want to do it in our own power. It's not that we're dismissing grace, but we're going, I can control this a little bit more. And then what tends to happen? What tends to happen is after a year of reading your Bible, every day something bad happens. You go, God, what, what are you doing? You owe me. I, I did this for you. Every day I was in the word. And he's going, I didn't tell you you had to do that. I've always just wanted your heart. I've always just wanted you. I, I'm doing the hard work. I'm doing the work that can cause you to be righteous. You've just got to trust and love me. I don't, I don't demand that you do all of these things. So in light of that, here's how Jesus answers the religious leaders. Luke chapter 5, verses 34 and 35. Jesus answered them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom, okay, we've dropped the bride part of that in, in our culture, so it's just the groom. Can you make the friends of the groom fast while he is with them? Can you do that? Can you require that, that during a celebration time, during a feasting time, when, when we're all here for a certain purpose, can you make them fast then? Verse 35, but the time will come when the bridegroom or the groom will be taken from them. In those days, that my disciples will fast. Because fasting is not the problem. Fasting is a good thing. But for right now, this is a time of celebration. We're seeing sinners come to know the Lord. We're, we're seeing the kingdom of God formed right in front of us. This is a time of celebration. Jesus' response is so so incredibly brilliant. He simply says, who at a wedding banquet wouldn't eat, wouldn't celebrate? Now, I don't know about you if you've ever been to a banquet or a celebration when you're on a diet or something like that. For me, it's only been one time, and it's miserable. Oh, it's so hard. I was actually at the Eden Clinic banquet, huge banquet in Norman. I, I was the MC for the night, and the, they rolled out this spread. It was so great, but I was doing a Daniel fast to prepare for Easter, and, and I got to eat a scoop of mashed potatoes and a little bit of lettuce while everyone else feasted. It, it's painful. And that's what Jesus is trying to say is, you're doing this, but you're doing it for no real reason. 
I'm not going to ask my disciples to fast right now. They'll do that later. But for right now, they're doing exactly what they needed to do. The way Jesus phrased the question, it demanded a negative response. Of course, they wouldn't fast during a wedding banquet. But Jesus also does something unique here in the Gospel of Luke. He refers to himself as the bridegroom. That's language that John the Baptist actually used about him, that the Pharisees might have heard about. This is John recording what John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verses 27 through 30. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. I'm the forerunner. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. And, and just so we're all on the same page, the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. So the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom, he's talking about himself, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less, and boy, does John the Baptist nail it right there. It's all about Jesus. It's all about your personal relationship with him. It's all about knowing him, loving him, serving him. And Jesus reminds the Pharisees, soon the bridegroom will be taken away, and then it will be appropriate to mourn. Then it will be appropriate to fast, but for right now, you celebrate. You celebrate. And then Jesus is going to shift gears. And he's going to tell another parable. So one's about the bridegroom and the wedding feast. Now he's going to tell a parable about old and new wine. Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39. He told the Pharisees this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. That just doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. They will not go together. It won't work. Verse 37, and no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Why? Because otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. It won't go together. It won't work. It will burst the new wine skins, and the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. Verse 38, no new wine must be poured into new wineskins. A new way of thinking, a new doctrine of grace needs to be received with a new heart and a new practice. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, and here's where it gets a little confusing, but track with me. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. In this parable, Jesus is saying that the old wine is the Old Testament law. And he's saying, you can't combine the Old Testament law with the New Testament of grace. They will not work together. But he says, unfortunately, most people, when left to their own devices to choose, will choose the old wine. Not because it's better tasting, but because it's more controllable. It's more comfortable. It allows the individual to make the decisions. So what Jesus is saying is that many of us, many of you listening today, we like the rules and the laws. 
because they're black and white. They may not be easy to follow, but there's no guessing involved. You just do this, don't do that, and God loves you. You don't have to trust. You don't have to believe. Faith becomes minimal. It's like trying to take a new pair of jeans, cut them up to patch an old pair that you really should just throw away. That makes no sense. Just fully wear the new jeans and get rid of the old. But so many people, and Jesus knew this, they'll try to make the new fit the old because the old makes them more comfortable. Jesus did not come to patch up an old system. Okay, He didn't come to say, oh, this is, this is just needing a little bit of work. No, he came to fulfill the old system and bring a completely new way of relating to God. Brand new. One that needed to be received as new. The old ways exemplified the condemnation and exclusion of sinners. The practice of fasting to prove your godliness. It doesn't fit anymore in this new system because as Matthew 9, 13 tells us, we read this two weeks ago, God desires mercy more than sacrifice. It's not that your religious acts are bad at all. God simply desires your heart and your love more than those religious acts. Jesus is saying here in a profoundly clear way, even though he's using parables, I am the new way. I am the new way. I am the new law. And it's one that is filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no more system. Religious acts, works, acts of righteousness that can put you in God's debt. Those, gone. Gone. It's all about me. The old system seeks to earn God's favor, points with him. While Jesus says, it's by grace I accept you just the way you are. Amen. Amen. God is for you, and he has proven that by sending his son to this earth. The new system says, surrender your life to me, and I will make you whole. No more patchwork. That doesn't, that doesn't hold. That doesn't stick. Surrender your life to me, and I'll make you whole. I just wonder... Do any of you feel the weight of this right now? Do you feel like you're trying to patch work your faith together? I trust God, but just in order to hedge my bet a little bit, I'm going to do a bunch of good things to just to make sure that one day when I stand before him, I, I, can, I can look at him and I can say, I, I did this for you, God. I did this all for you. Does anyone feel like they're trying to work that together? Jesus says people always choose the old wine because it's more comfortable and sad. We like the law because it's black and white. Do this three times a week. Don't ever do this. But if you do this, then, then you can do this to make it right. We find comfort in those kinds of systems, but it's contrary to grace. Grace is easy to reject because it provides no concrete rules. It's just a promise it's just a promise that through it, you will find life. 
You don't get to hold the score sheet. You do not know the tally. You just trust that what was needed for victory has been done through Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. It's a very delicate balance between faith and obligation. Some of you have spent your entire Christian life trying to do or not do exactly what you're supposed to do and not do just to earn points with God. Maybe you were told in youth group, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't have premarital sex. Make sure you stay away from the wrong types of crowds. Don't judge others. You've been told things you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to church, give 10%. You've got to serve. You must be a good person. You hear later in life, you've got to have a perfect marriage if you want to follow God. Perfect kids, be on mission trips, read the Bible, be better than most other people. This grading curve. You've maybe heard that or felt that or believed that. The do's and the don'ts of Christianity and what Jesus is saying is those are just a patchwork of the old and the new and it doesn't work. And for many of you who are exhausted and tired, who are empty, you're hearing this today and you're going, that's me. That's me. I've been working my whole life to get to God. When what Jesus is trying to teach you today is that God already came to you. He bridged that gap. He did the hard work. And he sent his son for you. And in response to that, then all these things you've been trying to do to earn God's favor, you find yourself wanting to do them. Not out of obligation, not desiring to put God in your debt, but because it's what's right. It's what the Holy Spirit that's living and breathing inside of you is calling you towards. It's what the word of God says is good and right for those who love the Lord. But it's not what you do to gain his love. It's because you've already experienced it. It's because you've already accepted it and it has transformed you from the inside out. There is no life, no hope, no joy, just disappointment, guilt, sadness, failure, in and fear for those who are trying to hold to the old system. The entire New Testament speaks to this. Instead, instead, you should rejoice because the groom has chosen you. He desires you Love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Feast in him. And possibly one of the ways you do that is through fasting. But you're not doing it to earn his favor. You're doing it because you love him and he loves you. I want to finish today with just a few questions, some things to think about. The first one is... <clears throat> Which wine, the old wine or the new wine, do you prefer? Now, I know it's probably a little uncomfortable for some of you in church to be talking about what wine you like to drink, but get over that and answer the question. If you had to choose between the old wine, a religious system, 
that requires this, this, and this from you, and the new wine, which is grace, which asks nothing except your complete and total faithfulness in response to God's love. Which one, which one would you choose? Which wine would you prefer more? Number two, how can you better trust in the grace of Jesus and allow the love of God to transform you? We, even if you're like, I'm a new wine dude, that's who I am. If that's you, how can you better trust in the grace of Jesus and allow it to transform you? Because none of us are done yet with what God is desiring to do in and through our lives. So how can you this week better trust in the grace of God and allow that to transform you. And then finally, is there anything from the old wine, the old system, that you need to let go of? These things would fall under broad categories such as legalism and moralism, but here's the one for me, okay? Here's the one for me. I'll throw it out there, and I would imagine if there's any general consensus of what we need to just trash from the old system, the old wine, here's what it would be. I need to get rid of the trust that I have in myself. Trusting in myself to be righteous enough. Trusting in myself to earn my way to God. I trust myself in almost every situation. But this one, when it comes to my relationship with God, this is one where I need to trust Him. And I need to trust Him alone as the one who's done the work and the one who's paid the price, and the one who loves me more than I can ever know. I need to stop relying on myself, and I need to start trusting him more. It's not about me or you climbing our way into God's grace, because he's already given it. So wherever you're at today, I pray, I pray that you experience that love and that grace, and that it would transform you from the inside out, that you would feast in the love of Jesus. You would drink of this new wine and know that it is exactly what God has for you. Father, help us in this day as we love to trust in ourselves to see that we need you more than anything else. Give us the grace sufficient to overcome our legalism and our moralism. Give us the grace that we need to hear your voice, to be wooed by you, and to turn our hearts and our minds fully towards you as we declare you Lord and Savior of our life. We thank you. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.